Assalamu alaikum warahmatullahi wabarakatuh. This is Abdul Nasser Jangda. If you enjoy and benefit from listening to our podcast, please donate to Qalam by visiting supportqalam.com. We love being able to share this content for free with you, and your donation ensures that we are always able to do so. Each podcast we produce has tens of thousands of listeners. So the opportunity for gaining immense reward by supporting this effort is endless, inshallah. You never know who will be able to benefit from your contributions and donations. Jazakumullahu khairan. Wassalamu alaikum warahmatullahi wabarakatuh. Bismillahi walhamdulillah wa salatu wassalamu ala rasulillahi wa ala alihi wa sahbihi ajma'in. Inshallah, continuing with our study of the life of the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam, Asiratul Nabawiyah, the prophetic biography. In the previous session, we talked about the eleventh year of the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam's residence in the city of Medina, the eleventh year of Hijrah. Now, as I explained previously, but I just uh, we'll do so again, I'll just reiterate and summarize very quickly, but nevertheless, just so that it doesn't create any confusion. Most people are familiar with the idea that the Prophet ﷺ spent 10 years in the city of Medina. So when I say the 11th year of Hijrah or the 11th year, uh, the 11th year of Hijrah, the 11th year in Medina, then the question begs that, how is the Prophet ﷺ alive? Because we know that he spent 10 years. So there's two things to understand, obviously. The Prophet ﷺ, he spent about 10 years residing in the city of Medina, where his residence was the city of Medina. But the Prophet ﷺ obviously did not arrive like on the very first, like if we're, you know, the first of Muharram, and then passed away on the last day of the 10th year. He arrived a couple of months into the calendar year, and therefore the Prophet ﷺ similarly passed away a couple of months into the 11th calendar year. So while it was technically the 11th year, the total time that his residence was the city of Medina amounts to 10 years. And so that's just a quick explanation. So we're looking at it from a historical point of view, a little bit more, if you will, academically, and that's why we say it was technically the 11th year of the calendar. Nevertheless, we talked about how the Prophet ﷺ returned back from the Hajj, Hajjat al-Wida, the farewell pilgrimage. And the Prophet ﷺ basically resumed his daily activities in the city of Medina. As I used the expression previously as well, um, it was kind of as we say, business as usual. The daily activities continued where the Prophet ﷺ would go to the masjid, he would conduct his you know, activities within the community, he would have his meetings and so on and so forth. And he resumed all those things. But then what we talked about previously was a few days into the month of Rabi'ul Awwal. Rabi'ul Awwal, which is the third month of the calendar year. About a few days into it, Abu Muwayhiba, radiallahu ta'ala anhu, who was not only a companion of the Prophet ﷺ, but he was someone who, would free, who was freed from slavery by the Prophet ﷺ. So he was waiting for the Prophet ﷺ in the night to basically assist him in going and using the restroom, making wudu, so on and so forth. <clears throat> that particular night when the Prophet ﷺ came out of his home and his residence, he told Abu Muwahiba, Inni umirtu an azura ha'ula. 
fi hadhal baqi'ah the prophet sallallahu said um, i have been commanded to go visit these old friends in the graveyard of Medina, al-baqi'ah or baqi'ah al-gharqad or as we often refer to it as jannat al-baqi'ah and so the Prophet ﷺ went there and he visited it there. And we talked about all that. And at the end of that narration where Abu Muwayhiba tells the story, he talks about how the Prophet ﷺ alluded to the idea at the end that basically his time was coming to an end. And then finally Abu Muwayhiba radiallahu ta'ala anhu, he says, فَمَا لَبِثَ بَعْدَ ذَلِكَ إِلَّا سَبْعًا أَوْ ثَمَانِيًا حَتَّى قُبِضَ That the Prophet ﷺ basically lived for another week. So what we're going to be talking about today is that we're going to start at least talking about that last week of the life of the Prophet ﷺ. Now there's quite a bit that transpires during this last week. So it might take us a few sessions or at least a couple of sessions to go through it so as to be able to study it and cover it thoroughly or as thoroughly as possible. Nevertheless, that's what we're going to be delving into starting today inshaAllah. So first and foremost, so Ibn Ishaq, he narrates in a sirah, along with many others, that basically Abu Muwayhiba says in that narration that when the Prophet ﷺ returned back that morning, it was basically later that day, the Prophet ﷺ complained of not feeling well. He complained of not being so well. And initially, the way that it's set in, and we'll talk more about this is, he complained of having a headache, and then the Prophet ﷺ started to uh, develop a fever, which eventually led to him having many, you know, kind of body aches, and then ultimately starting to lose a lot of his physical strength and his energy. So that day, the Prophet ﷺ was actually staying in the home of his wife, Maymuna bint al-Hadith radiallahu ta'ala anha. He was staying in the home of Maymuna radiallahu anha. And so the Prophet ﷺ, when he started feeling sick that day, he, فَدَعَانِسَاءَهُ The Prophet ﷺ called together the mothers of the believers, the wives of the Prophet ﷺ, فَاسْتَأْذَنَهُنَّ أَنْ يُمَرِّضَ فِي بَيْتِي فَأَذِنَّ لَهُ Aisha radiallahu ta'ala anha, she narrates that the Prophet ﷺ gathered together his wives. And again, the, the tradition of the Prophet ﷺ was that he would basically alternate days amongst the homes of his different wives, amongst the homes of the mothers of the believers. So the Prophet ﷺ would never go stay somewhere when it was basically someone else's time, unless and until there was permission to do so. Because that was the fairness the Prophet ﷺ practiced. So he gathered together his wives and he basically requested them for permission to be able to go and stay in the home of Aisha ﷺ until he did not start to feel better. So they all basically said, absolutely, that was no issue. And one of the things before I go forward that is talked about here is why specifically the Prophet ﷺ wanted to stay in the home of Aisha radiallahu ta'ala anha amongst all the other homes. Um, and it wasn't necessarily due to any type of you know, facilities or luxuries or anything of that nature because 
all the homes of the Prophet were very simple, very humble. And in fact, the home of Aisha radiallahu ta'ala anha was maybe one of the least spacious of the homes of the Prophet That the home of Aisha radiallahu ta'ala anha was no bigger than what we would consider like a walk-in closet, if even that big at all. It was very, very humble. There's many different diagrams and models and things like that. You'll find them online that have been created demonstrating how large the home or how small rather the home of Aisha radiallahu anha was, her quarters, her apartment, if you will. And this, is, this can simply be understood by two things that we know from uh, authentic narrations. Number one, that the apartment of Aisha, it was just one room and it was so small, it was so humble that when the Prophet ﷺ would pray at night, and he would wake up very, very early in the night, uh, when you know half the night or even two-thirds of the night had passed, Aisha radiallahu ta'ala anha a lot of times would wake up a little bit later to pray her tahajjud. But the Prophet ﷺ would wake up sometimes two, three hours before the Fajr prayer to start praying for his nightly ritual. That sometimes when he was praying, the apartment was so small, the room was so small, that Aisha radiallahu ta'ala anha would be sleeping, and her legs would be uh, in front of the Prophet ﷺ where he was praying. Somewhat so that when he would have to go down in sajda, he would have to move her legs out of the way to be able to do the sajda, to be able to prostrate. And that illustrates how tight the room was. Secondly, the room was also, the ceiling of it was so low that the Prophet ﷺ basically, if he stood up and he stretched his arms all the way up, and yes, the Prophet ﷺ was a little bit taller than your average person, you know, maybe around something like what we would describe maybe about being six feet tall or something. But when the Prophet ﷺ would stand up and he would stretch his arms all the way up, he could basically place his palms on the ceiling. So that's how low the ceiling was. So it was very small, very humble. So the point that I was getting to was that why did many people talk about why did the Prophet ﷺ choose to stay in the home of Aisha radiallahu ta'ala anha? So there's a couple of things that you know, are talked about. The wisdoms of why the Prophet ﷺ stayed there. Number one, obviously the relationship the Prophet ﷺ had with Aisha radiallahu ta'ala anha is well documented. The love that he had for her, the relationship that they had, the nature of their relationship. Aisha radiallahu ta'ala anha. Of course, all the mothers of the believers are profoundly knowledgeable and our teachers. But Aisha radiallahu ta'ala anha was particularly the more knowledgeable of the mothers of the believers. So much so that she was one of the most knowledgeable of the companions of the Prophet ﷺ. Ibn Hajar ta'ala writes that half of the religion comes to us through Aisha radiallahu ta'ala anha. So there's that element that's there, the personal dynamic that they had. Number two, the second thing that I would mention here is that the home of Aisha, the apartment of Aisha radiallahu ta'ala anha, was also very interestingly, and what we can say strategically positioned according to the masjid, or in terms of its attachment or proximity to the masjid, the mosque of the Prophet So if the Prophet was leading prayer from here, like where the imam stands, the home of Aisha, like when we visit the masjid today, Masjid Nabawi, in the old masjid of the Prophet where he is laid to rest, was the home of Aisha radiallahu anha. So it was basically like directly next to where he would lead the prayer from. 
So in terms of proximity, if he is not physically feeling well, it was the place where he could most easily access the masjid from and he could come to lead the prayer. Number two. Number three, in kind of speaking uh, retrospectively, of course we know that Abu Bakr radiallahu ta'ala anhu was the next, was the leader of the Muslims after the Prophet ﷺ, was the Khalifa of the Messenger of Allah wasallam, And it would be easier for Abu Bakr radiallahu ta'ala anhu to have access to the Prophet ﷺ during these last few days if he was in the home of Aisha. Because Aisha, the wife of the Prophet ﷺ, was the daughter of Abu Bakr. And obviously that'd be a lot easier to access because it's his daughter's home. Nevertheless, the Prophet ﷺ went to go stay at the home of Aisha anha. Now, when the Prophet ﷺ went to go stay there, the narrations talk about how the Prophet ﷺ, day by day, his condition continued to uh, worsen. His, condi- his condition was worsening by day by day. So much so that Aisha radiallahu ta'ala anha, she actually narrates that in the next day or so, the physical condition of the Prophet ﷺ deteriorated and he started feeling weak to the point where the Prophet ﷺ needed physical assistance to go and lead the prayer. He required help to be able to lead the prayer. And at that time she says, that خَرَجَ رَسُولُ اللَّهِ The Prophet ﷺ basically asked for two of the young men from the family of the Prophet ﷺ to come and to assist him in going for the prayer. And there's a number of different companions. There was almost a rotation of them, his family members, who were amongst these young men who would come and take him for the prayer. You had people like Ali bin Abi Talib, Fadl bin Abbas, these are his cousins. And you even have in some narrations that Usama ibn Zayd. So you had all these different individuals who were basically coming. And the narration says, Yuhadi bayna ithnain. Yuhadi bayna ithnain. That he would basically put his arms around their shoulders and they would kind of hold him around his waist and they would kind of help him walk while he leaned on the two of them. But because of his worsening and weakening condition physically. Because of that, she says eventually, he became so weak that even though he was relying on them, leaning on them, and they were taking him, that eventually he would sometimes like lose his footing. He would lose his footing to the point where he could not walk, and they would continue to carry him. And because the Prophet was tall, his feet would drag on the ground behind him, leaving lines in the sand behind him, lines in the dirt behind him. And many uh, companions like Abdullah bin Mas'ud, Ali bin Abi Talib radiallahu ta'ala anhum, they all basically mention that we remember seeing this, that uh, it would leave these lines in the sand behind him. Secondly, as again the physical condition of the Prophet ﷺ got worse, one of the things that as they would bring him for the prayer, the companions noticed was Aisha radiallahu ta'ala anha says that his head was pounding, like his head was hurting and his head felt like it was pounding. So what he did was he asked Aisha radiallahu ta'ala anha, can you get like a scrap of cloth, like a scarf? And she got something like that and then he asked her to tie it around his head and to tighten it. And she said, I tightened it. And he said, tighten it more. And she said, I tightened it to the best of my ability. 
and they tied that around his head. So when he was coming for the prayers, subsequently, Asiban Ra'sahu, the companions remember and they note the fact that his head was tied up. And that, that's how they were able to tell as well that the Prophet ﷺ, he was experiencing such a severe headache. Another very fascinating thing that the Prophet ﷺ commented on, especially with the onset of such severe physical weakness, where he was losing the ability to stand up and walk. The Prophet ﷺ said in the hadith of Bukhari to Aisha radiallahu anha, كَانَ النَّبِي صَلَّى يَقُولُ فِي مَرَضِهِ الَّذِي مَاتَ فِيهِ Ya Aisha, ma azalu ajidu alam al-ta'am al-ladhi akaltu bi khaybar. He said, oh Aisha, I can specifically feel the weakness physically coming on. It seems as, as a consequence of the poisoned food that I had accidentally consumed at the place of khaybar. When the Prophet ﷺ went for the expedition of Khaybar, we talked about this, that there was a resident woman there from the Jewish tribe who had basically poisoned some food and sent it. And the Prophet ﷺ took a bite of it. Jibreel ﷺ came to the Prophet ﷺ to stop him and he told everyone, stop. One companion unfortunately had eaten too much and he ended up dying from the poisoning. But the Prophet ﷺ became a little bit sick in the aftermath of the bite that he had eaten. And when he commented on this, it seems like he said, I feel a lot of the same pain kind of coming back that I had felt at that time when I had eaten that poisoned food. So it seems like maybe, like if you have a lingering injury, or you have maybe something, so there might have been some type of internal issue that had maybe not fully healed or something like that, and then the Prophet ﷺ was feeling kind of the return of that or the lasting effects of that, being in a more physically weakened state. Wallahu ta'ala alam bisawab. So, along with this, there are a number of other narrations that I wanted to uh, share here, which again kind of demonstrate and illustrate what the condition of the Prophet ﷺ was starting to become uh, at this particular time. And this can be best uh, understood through the narrations in which the companions of the Prophet ﷺ, they talk about what they remember and what they had noticed about the physical condition of the Prophet ﷺ during this last week. Abdullah bin Mas'ud radiallahu ta'ala anhu in the narration of the Musnad of Imam Ahmad, he says, I went to go visit the Prophet ﷺ to see how he was doing and he was, he was, he had a fever. So I touched him to check his fever. He said, I have never seen anyone heating up so severely, having such a severe fever. He said, I'm experiencing twice as much of the fever as one of you experience. And again, that's used in a uh, figurative sense, meaning I'm suffering a much more severe fever that you would ever be able to physically bear. And we do know that the Prophet ﷺ possessed you know, superhuman strength, he had greater strength. And so that's what he's referring to. And then Abdullah bin Masood ta'ala anhu, ever the student, 
right? He was always one of the most keen of the students of the Prophet ﷺ and one of the greatest uh, of the teachers of the next generations and one of the people who did one of the most remarkable jobs in transmitting the life and the legacy of the Prophet ﷺ in the Qur'an. He said, when the Prophet ﷺ said that, I then asked him, Inna laka ajrain? So does that mean you get more reward? And he said, yes. I swear by Allah, مَا عَلَى الْأَرْضِ مُسْلِمٌ The Prophet ﷺ said, every single believer on the face of the earth, يُصِيبُهُ أَذَنْ مِنْ مَرَضٍ فَمَا سِوَاهُ Any Muslim on the face of the earth, whenever they suffer anything in any way at all, whether it be due to illness or something else, إِلَّا حَتَّ اللَّهُ عَنْهُ بِهِ خَطَيَهُ Except that their sins drop away, wash away from them. كَمَا تَحُدُّ الشَّجَرَةُ وَرَقَهَا Just like a tree sheds its leaves in the fall. Similarly, when a believer goes through some type of struggle, that believer sheds their sins just like a tree loses its leaves. And this is narrated also in the books of Bukhari and Muslim. Abu Sa'id al-Khudri radiallahu ta'ala anhu, another great companion of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, minal al fil hadith he's narrated many uh, narrations from the Prophet He says, وَضَعْتُ يَدِي عَلَى النَّبِي sallallahu He said, I went to go visit the Prophet sallallahu during these days that he was sick, in between the prayers, and I placed my hand on the Prophet وَاللَّهِ مَا أُتِيقُ أَنْ أَضَعَ يَدِي عَلَيْكَ مِنْ شِدَّةِ حُمَّاكِ يَا رَسُولَ اللَّهِ so Messenger of Allah, I can't keep my hand on you. You're burning up so hard, I have to move my, it's burning my hand. فَقَالَ نَبِيُّ صَلَّى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهِ وَسَلَمُ And the Prophet said at this time, إِنَّا مَعَشَرُ الْأَنْبِيَاءِ We are the fraternity of prophets. يُضَاعُفُ لَنَا الْبَلَاءُ We are more severely tested. كَمَا يُضَاعُفُ لَنَا الْأَجْرُ Just as we are more abundantly rewarded. We are very blessed people. But we also we are also people that of whom a lot is asked. Well we are very blessed, a lot is asked of us. A lot is uh, required of us. And he says, goes on to say, In kana nabiyu min al ambila min al ambiai la yubtala bil kumal hata yaktulahu. He said there was one prophet who suffered, you know, such a physical condition due to like lice and things like that, that he ended up dying from this condition. وَإِنْ كَانَ الرَّجُلْ لَيُبْتَلَى بِالْعُرِي حَتَّى يَأْخُذَ الْعَبَاءَةَ فَيُجَوِّبَهَا He said that some other prophets before me, they were afflicted with such serious physical conditions, and this kind of refers to like, almost like a rash or a breakout of the skin, that they basically would have to constantly uh, take, you know, uh, what they would do a lot of times to kind of relieve it, they would take certain fruits or vegetables, and they would basically mash it up, and they would apply that almost like lotion or aloe, to just provide some coolness and some relief. وَإِن كَانُوا بِالْبَلَاءِ كَمَا تَفْرَحُونَ بِالرَّخَى but he said the difference is this, the prophets, they understand the purpose of difficulty and hardship. That it's an investment. 
in the betterment of the world, in the betterment of humanity, and in the life of the hereafter. He said the prophets would be happy that God was asking so much of them. And they would in fact be grateful and they would celebrate their, 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 their sacrifices. Just like you, you celebrate your luxuries. They would celebrate their sacrifices like you people celebrate your luxuries. Amazing. In another hadith, Aisha radiallahu ta'ala anha, she says, مَا رَأَيْتُ الْوَجَعَ عَلَىٰ أَحَدٍ أَشَدًا مِنْهُ عَلَىٰ رَسُولَ اللَّهِ صَلَىٰهُ عَلَىٰ رَسُولَ اللَّهِ In a hadith of Bukhari and Muslim, Aisha radiallahu ta'ala anha says, I never saw anyone go through physically more than the Prophet went through. In another narration, Usama ibn Zayd, in a hadith of Tirmidhi, Usama ibn Zayd, and I've talked about him previously, but just a real quick reminder, Usama ibn Zayd radiallahu ta'ala anhumah, he was a very beloved companion of the Prophet When the Prophet passed away, he was a young man, he was like 17, 18 years old. And he was very beloved. His father was like the adopted son of the Prophet ﷺ. The Prophet ﷺ had basically raised his father, Zayd bin Haritha. And his mother was one of the caretakers of the Prophet ﷺ. One of the young you know, girls that looked after the Prophet ﷺ when he was a baby. And so she was very beloved to the Prophet ﷺ as well. So because of that, Usama was very beloved to the Prophet ﷺ. He was referred to as, he was called by the people of his time, Hibbu Rasulullah ﷺ, the beloved of the Messenger. He says that, He said that when the Prophet ﷺ became sick and became ill, and the news of his illness started to spread, that he was physically becoming so weak, he said, I and along with me many other people flocked to Medina, like even people outside of Medina flocked to Medina to go see the Prophet And he says, وَقَدْ دَخَلْتُ عَلَىٰ رَسُولَ I went to go visit the Prophet وَقَدْ أَسْمَةَ فَلَا يتكلم. At this point, his physical weakness had become so severe, he felt so weak that he did not have the strength to speak. He couldn't talk. And so when I walked into the room, he looked at me, he saw me, he smiled. فَجَعَلَ يَرْفَعُ يَدَيْهِ إِلَى السَّمَاءِ ثُمَّ يَسُبُّهَا عَلَيْهَا He said the Prophet ﷺ started raising his hands up to the sky and then pointing them at me like this. And then he would raise his hands up to the sky and then he would point them towards me. Kind of bring them down in my direction. And he kept on doing this repeatedly. And he says that, أَعْرِفُ أَنَّهُ يَدْعُوا لِي and he said, I recognize that what he was trying to communicate to me is, I'm praying for you. I'm praying for you. Abdullah ibn Abbas radiallahu ta'ala anhumah, he says that when the Prophet ﷺ, he started to get more and more sick as we're describing, the Prophet ﷺ, there was like a little cloth, like think of a hand towel, a little cloth, a hand cloth that he had next to him that he had requested from Aisha radiallahu anha and he would keep it and from time to time he would cover his face with it. And then, you know, when after a little while then he would remove it but he would have to sometimes just cover up his face. It was just so severe his condition at this time. The Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam 
when he started getting more and more sick, the companions Jabir bin Abdullah in a hadith of Bayhaqi, he says that Sami'atul Rasulullah sallallahu He started repeatedly saying the phrase Have a good expectation of God. Think good of God. Have good expectations of your Lord. Jabir radiallahu ta'ala anhu in a hadith of Sahih Muslim, he says, the Prophet ﷺ elaborated, he said, لَا يَمُوتَنَّ أَحْدُكُمْ إِلَّا وَهُوَ يَحْسِنُ الظَّنَّ بِاللَّهِ تَعَالَى None of you should ever leave this world except that you are in a state, in a spiritual condition where you expect nothing but good from your Lord. In another narration, he says that God says, أَنَا عِنْدَ ظَنِّ عَبْدِي بِي it's such a beautiful hadith, Qudsi, what we call, sacred tradition, that we've heard of many times before. But isn't it remarkable? The Prophet ﷺ said this on his deathbed. He said it on his deathbed. The narration, where he quotes Allah, that God says, Right? That God says that I deal with my slave according to my slave's expectation of me. So let my slave have good expectations of me. Allah says. But we know this narration. It's so powerful. But it's at the same time, sometimes you think about it. And again, I'm just speaking very frankly here. Not to condone it, but just to kind of acknowledge it, and to deal with it, to remedy it. We, we've heard this narration before, but sometimes it seems really hard. It seems difficult, right? You hear somebody say, have good expectations of your Lord. And you think like, yeah, I know that, but I'm struggling over here and it's hard. But then context, you see why context is so important. The Prophet said this on his deathbed. As so profoundly powerful and insightful. They said this on his deathbed. Anas radiallahu ta'ala anhu, he says that He says, looking back during the last week of the life of the Prophet he would repeatedly give the advice. You know, many people were coming to visit him. And so he would give this advice to people. Many people would come and even ask him for some advice, some words of wisdom, things like that. And the general advice of the Prophet ﷺ during these last few days was, As-salah, as-salah wa ma malakata imanukum. As-salah wa ma malakata imanukum. Take care of your prayer. And be mindful, be God-fearing in dealing with the people who are put in your charge. Be very mindful of the people that you are responsible for. And the example that he used was like when someone has slaves in that person's care, be very good, be very mindful. And so, as-salah wa ma'amalakata imanukum. حَتَّى جَعَلَ يُغَرْغِرُ بِهَا فِي صَدْرِهِ وَمَا يَفِيدُ بِهَا لِسَانُهُ 
Sometimes when people would come to visit him, he would keep on saying over and over again, As-salah, as-salah, wa ma malakatay manakum. As-salah, wa ma malakatay manakum. As-salah, wa ma malakatay. And he would keep on saying it over and over until he would lose his voice. And then he, it would finally, to, it was to the point where he couldn't, in, he couldn't speak the words from his tongue, from his mouth anymore, because he would lose his strength. And we, you would just hear kind of like this grunting or mumbling sound coming from his throat and his chest. Where eventually he was just kind of almost grunting the words at you. Like he was like, he couldn't move his tongue. His tongue was swollen, he had a fever. And he was just kind of like mumbling, but you could tell that that's what he was saying. And he would keep on saying it over and over again. In another narration, Ali bin Abi Talib radiallahu ta'ala anhu, he says that I asked the Prophet ﷺ, or he says, excuse me, rather, in the Musnad of Imam Ahmad, Ali bin Abi Talib narrates that the Prophet ﷺ, he told me that go and get something to write so I can give you some advice for the Ummah. So he said that I was afraid to leave him. Like his condition was worsening so much that this fear just gripped me in that moment that I don't want to leave his side. So I told him, O Messenger of God, قُلْتُ إِنِّي أَحْفَظُ وَأَعِي O Messenger of Allah, I will, please tell me, I will remember it. I will preserve it. I'm a young man with a strong memory. Please just trust me. And then the Prophet ﷺ said, O see, my, my dying advice to you, my last bequest to you, my last will and testament to you is mind your prayers, be very particular about your charity, and always be God-fearing in dealing with the people that you are responsible for. That you are responsible for. Never abuse your position of authority and power. Never ever dare do that. Aisha radiallahu ta'ala anha says that again during these days when the condition of the Prophet came getting worse, he asked me, Aisha radiallahu ta'ala anha says, he asked me for a bowl of water. And she says, I brought him this bowl of water. He would put his hand into the bowl, kind of wet his hand. Then he would take his hand out and wipe his hand, wipe his face with his wet hand to kind of cool himself off a little. ثُمَّ يَقُولَ اللَّهُمَّ أَعِنِّي عَلَى سَكَرَاتِ الْمَوْتِ And then he would make dua, he would say, Oh Allah, help me in dealing with these pangs of death, the separation of the soul from the body. Because it's a transition to the afterlife, it's not easy. The soul is completely intertwined with the body. And so as it's coming undone, leading up to a person's passing, he said that it's not easy. The Prophet ﷺ said something very beautiful. Aisha radiallahu ta'ala anha was there, right? 
She was caring for him, taking care of him. So she was seeing all of this, witnessing all of this. And it's not easy to see someone who is so beloved to you, let alone the Messenger of Allah, who is the most beloved of all human beings. Going through all of this, the Prophet said something very beautiful. He said, One of the things that made this entire experience easier for me, إِنِّي رَأَيْتُ بَيَاضَ كَفِّ عَائِشَ فِي الْجَنَّةِ I can see when I close my eyes and Allah shows me paradise, I see the hand of Aisha in paradise. I see the hand of Aisha with me in paradise. Just like she's here taking care of me, she's there with me in paradise. I see her, I see, I see her hand in paradise. Which is like an expression in Arabic that I'm holding her hand in paradise. So beautiful. The Prophet ﷺ, in this particular condition, the Prophet ﷺ, he continued going to the masjid to lead the Muslims in prayer over the next couple of days, even in this condition. But obviously, his condition became so severe that he needed some physical assistance, as I had talked about previously, to get to the masjid. But then even when they took him from the masjid, because of not having the ability or the strength rather, to stand, the Prophet ﷺ, he would sit and lead the believers in prayer. Until finally, his narration, excuse me, the narrations mentioned that his condition became so severe that one morning, it was Fajr time, the Prophet ﷺ, he woke up in that morning and he wanted to sit up. He wanted to sit up. And the Prophet ﷺ wasn't able to physically even sit up, let alone anything else. So at this juncture, at this point in time, the Prophet ﷺ, after trying for some time, and Adhan, uh, the Bilal radiallahu ta'ala anhu, he called the Adhan. Bilal radiallahu anhu, the Mu'addin, he called the Adhan. Now, something very, very peculiar unprecedented occurred for the companions. And that was, this was the first, even for Bilal radiallahu anhu. And that was that this was the first time they ever experienced that the Prophet ﷺ was in the city of Medina. He was not traveling, he was not out of town. And Bilal radiallahu ta'ala anhu, when he would call the Adhan for Fajr, oftentimes the Prophet would tell him, would notify him that it was time for Fajr. He would be praying and making dua and worshiping, and then it would be time for Fajr, and he would go tell Bilal, Arihna biha ya Bilal. Adhin ya Bilal. Right? He would tell him, go call the other. Or, Bilal radiallahu ta'ala anhu, if the Prophet was particularly, really kind of like, still, you know, he was completely immersed within his prayer that day, 
And it was time for Fajr, Bilal would sometimes come notify the Prophet that I'm about to call the Adhan. Give him a heads up, get permission so to speak. Or sometimes at the very least, if he would come and look at the Prophet when he was in dua or supplication or something, then he would go and he would call the Adhan. And as soon as Bilal would call the Adhan, the Prophet basically would immediately get up and then he would come for the prayer. But what I'm essentially saying is that the Bilal radiallahu ta'ala who had never even experienced this, that it was time for the prayer, he called the Adhan, and then the, the Prophet was not there. So now, the time for the Adhan of Fajr happens, the Prophet Bilal radiallahu ta'ala who calls the Adhan, Da'a Bilalun lis-salah, ay adhana lis-salah. And then, the Prophet ﷺ did not come. Because he physically couldn't even sit up. So if he couldn't even sit, nobody could, I mean, he wouldn't be able to even come and sit and lead. So what do we do now? So while the companions were there waiting, Abu Bakr radiallahu ta'ala anhu was maybe kind of running a couple of minutes late. You know, reason to rush from making wudu, something like that. The companions were gathered and they said, what do we do? What do we do for the prayer? Abdurrahman bin Auf radiallahu ta'ala anhu on one of the expeditions, one of the journeys of the Prophet sallallahu the military expeditions, when the Prophet ﷺ had gone with Mughira bin Shu'abah to go find the suitable place to use the restroom, and they finally found a place kind of really far away, and then the Prophet ﷺ had to relieve himself, and then they had to find a clean place where he could make wudu, and then they had to go make wudu, and then the Prophet ﷺ was wearing this jubbarumiyah that was given to him by Tamim Adari radiallahu ta'ala anhu, which had very tight sleeves, so he couldn't roll his sleeves up, so he basically had to take off that robe that he was wearing, he had to take it off and then make wudu. And then he put his robe back on and then they started walking back and it was a little, they had walked away quite a bit of a distance. And then they, the time for prayer came. And so at that time, Abdurrahman bin Auf radiallahu ta'ala anhu, he basically said, okay, so he told someone, call the adhan, and he started to lead the prayer. And he was correct in doing so. The Prophet ﷺ did not reprimand him or correct him. He was correct in doing so. The Prophet ﷺ approved. And then the Prophet ﷺ came and joined into the prayer. So because of that experience, Abdurrahman bin Auf anhu, he said, Abu Bakr should lead the prayer. Aina Abu Bakr. So at that time, they looked around, they said, we don't see Abu Bakr. Then, he basically turned to Umar radiallahu ta'ala anhu and he said, Umar, you lead, since Abu Bakr's not here. And everybody that was present there agreed with this whole process that he went through. Where's Abu Bakr? He's not here yet. Okay, Umar. And I'll be getting to this a little bit later, maybe in the next session, but that right there kind of shows you there was this understanding present amongst the companions. Nevertheless, Umar radiallahu ta'ala anhu started to step up to lead the prayer. And when 
very reluctantly, of course. And when he told people like to start straightening the rows and this night he spoke up, the Prophet ﷺ right next door in the apartment of Aisha, he heard the voice of Umar, the Prophet ﷺ, he summoned all the strength that he could summon at that moment. And he said, La, la. La, la. No, no. فَلْيُصَلِّ بِكُمْ إِبْنُ أَبِي قُحَافَةً the son of Abu Quhafa, Abu Bakr, he leads the prayer. And then he called, and then he told Aisha radiallahu ta'ala anha, the daughter of Abu Bakr, he told her that, go tell your father, Muri abaki falyusalli bin nasi. Go tell your father to lead the people in prayer. Now here, something quite, you know, Touching. Aisha radiallahu ta'ala anha, the daughter of Abu Bakr as-Siddiq, the wife of the Prophet sallallahu the mother of the believers, she says to the Prophet sallallahu that if I may, O Messenger of Allah, if I may express something, she says, in, in Abu Bakrin rajulun asifun. Abu Bakr is a very, very soft-hearted man. He's my dad, I know. He's a very soft-hearted man. إِذَا قَامَ مَقَامَكَ لَمْ If he has to stand where you stand, he won't be able to lead the prayer. He'll crumble. His knees will give out. He won't be able to. It'll, it'll, it'll tear him up inside. In another narration, she elaborates further. She says, "Lam al buka." He'll cry so much, recognizing what that means. That he has to fill in for you for salah. He'll cry so much, nobody will understand what he's reading. He'll just stand there and cry. Maybe tell someone else to lead the prayer. If that is suitable, of course. And the Prophet ﷺ, he repeated himself. One narration says he said it multiple times as a response. فَلْيُصَلِّي بِالنَّاسِ ibnu Abi Quhafa. Let me be clear. Abu Bakr leads the prayer. And at that time Aisha said, I zipped out. Found my father on the way to the masjid, rushing, just running behind, you know, like I said before, just personal need, whatever. And I told him that the Prophet ﷺ has commanded, Father, he has commanded that you lead the prayer. And then Abu Bakr came. It was a very overwhelming moment for him. But he came and he led the prayer at that time. Along with this, I'll mention one other narration. Or I'll mention two things here. Before I get to, and I'll, and I'll save this for the next session because this will take more time. But basically, the events of Sunday and Monday. The last two days of the life of the Prophet Because something very particular 
Something very, very specific in particular occurs on that Sunday. And then of course Monday is the day the Prophet ﷺ passes away. So, two last things that I'll mention here. Number one is, along with, and there's a lot of commentary on this, about the Prophet ﷺ appointing Abu Bakr ﷺ to lead the prayer. That as kind of like later on, I'm kind of mentioning it here, after the passing of the Prophet ﷺ, what the companions would say at that time, that the man whom the Prophet ﷺ deemed qualified to trust with our prayers, our deen, our religion, while he was still alive, why would we not trust that man to lead us in this world? To lead us in terms of governance and logistics. If the Prophet says, like think about it, that morning, that's why I'm emphasizing this, that's why I put so much emphasis on that moment, multiple times, when he hears Omar's voice, La la, Abu Bakr leads the prayer. Tells Aisha, Abu Bakr leads the prayer. When she tries to say, it might be too much, Abu Bakr leads the prayer. That that is a very critical, important moment that cannot be glossed over. And then, I wanted to mention one other very interesting uh, narration that is mentioned at that time. That during this, these last few days, of the life of the Prophet ﷺ, there's a very interesting uh, narration that mentions that during these last few days, there was a woman who came to see the Prophet ﷺ. She was from, you know, so to speak, out of town. She was someone who had become Muslim, and she had come uh, to Medina for her Islam. And she came to visit the Prophet ﷺ and see the Prophet ﷺ. After, you know, coming in uh, with permission and just kind of paying the Prophet ﷺ a visit because he was not feeling well, because she had become Muslim and because she was visiting from abroad, she was visiting from out of town, she had some questions about Islam that she had wanted to ask the Prophet ﷺ. So when she came to see the Prophet ﷺ, the Prophet ﷺ asked her if there were any questions that she had. And at that time, she asked some questions. After asking a few questions, you know, she said that's it. She didn't want to ask any more questions. The Prophet ﷺ could sense that she had maybe some more questions to ask. And just generally, also, just to leave the door open. He said to her, this narrated by Jubayd bin Mut'im in Bukhari and Muslim, that the Prophet ﷺ, فَأَمَرَهَا أَن تَرْجِعَ إِلَيْهِ the Prophet ﷺ told her, why don't you please come pay me another visit? Feel free to visit me again. 
have a follow-up discussion if you need to. فقالت, and you know sometimes some people are just very straightforward. And maybe because of being out of town, being a villager, a Bedouin, she said, She said, what if I come back and you're not here anymore? It's like a way of saying, you don't look like you're doing too well. So she's asking a logistical question. She cares about her Islam. What if I have questions I need answered? So what if I come back? Ra'ayta, what do you think? In jitu walamajitk. I come back and you're not here anymore. What do I do? The narrator feels the need to explain. She was basically alluding to the fact that, you know, what if you're dead? But again, that's not rude because a lot of the Bedouin people, they just spoke like this with this kind of frankness. They didn't mean any insult. They were just very humble, simple, frank people. And the Prophet ﷺ said something. He said, "Illam tajidini fa'ati Aba Bakrin." If you come back and you need anything, and if I'm no longer here, find Abu Bakr. Find Abu Bakr. In a hadith of Bukhari and Muslim. So that I wanted to mention here also goes right in line with what we're talking about the Prophet ﷺ appointing Abu Bakr as Siddiq to lead the prayer in those last few days of his life. So with that, inshallah, I'll conclude here and uh, we'll continue uh, in the next session. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala make the life of the Prophet sallam uh, a source of guidance for us. And may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala make uh, the, light, the Qur'an and the life of the Prophet sallam a guiding light for us. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala allow us to benefit from the noble, blessed tradition of the Prophet sallam. And may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala allow us to live our lives to the best of our ability in emulation of our beloved Messenger Subhanallah wa bihamdihi, subhanakallah wa bihamdik. Nashadu wa la ilaha illa anta, nastaghfiruka wa natubu ilayk.